not insinuating it. You are indicted, guilty, and you are a sinner, and you're reaping just what you deserve. And so it's really bad. Now, he silenced one of his, one of his uh, friends. Zophar is not going to speak at all. We're only going to hear from Eliphaz and Bildad, because basically he's silencing his critics with his integrity. And that's what integrity does. When you're falsely accused, you cannot save your reputation, but you can save your character by maintaining your integrity, and eventually character silences critics. And so, so far, Zophar is going to be silent. Bildad is just going to have one brutal jab, and Eliphaz himself speaks the shortest that he will ever speak in this book. But after this, they will all be silent. So, let's take a look at it and see how we can measure our motives in the midst of our misery. You may not be going through hard times now, but you will in the future, or maybe you've just come out of them. Let's look at, first of all, let's look at, are you facing deceitful accusations like Job? Are you facing deceitful accusations? Because in Job 22, Eliphaz has decided this. If you can't prove that someone is a sinner, then just resort to lying. Just make up sins. And so here's what Eliphaz says. And if I summarized all of chapter 22, it would be like this. Job, you're suffering because you're a serious sinner who serves God for selfish motives. That's all of chapter 2. That's what he's saying. It's a false accusation. It's an outright lie. It's a deceitful accusation. And these accusations, and you say, how's that relate to me? Well, moms, let me say this, and it's to all of us, but we're addressing moms. As you go about serving God in your role as a mother, I'm sure all of you, if you will stop for a minute, you know that at different times as a mom of integrity, the devil who is the accuser and the adversary behind everything in the book of Job whispers in your ears too false accusations. False accusations. You're doing this all because you're selfish. You're doing this and you're just a sinful, worthless woman, wife, mother. Why are you even trying? This stuff's really real and it really echoes in our hearts and our heads. Sometimes it comes from us. Sometimes it comes from you know our own selves condemning ourselves. Sometimes it comes from the devil. Ultimately, it's always from him. But other times it might be your own parents, your own siblings who whisper these kind of accusations into your lives. And here's some of what Eliphaz was accusing. He basically said three things to Job. Number one, you're suffering because your sins are seriously selfish here on earth. You're suffering what you're suffering because you uh, have been selfish. Your sins have been selfish. Now, it's, isn't it interesting that Eliphaz accuses Job of being selfish, and that's the very thing that Satan was accusing Job of in heaven. Because what did Satan say? God, the reason Job is your faithful servant is because what you give to him. He is selfish. He is doing it because what he gets. And down here on earth, here's Eliphaz saying the very same thing. Job, the reason you're suffering is because your sins 
are a result of your selfishness. But the reality is that Job was unselfish and that God had said Job was unselfish. And so Eliphaz is faced with a problem. Because Job is truly an unselfish person, the only way he can accuse him of this is to create lying accusations, deceitful accusations. So here's what he does. He first attacks Job's motives. Look at verses 1 through 5. Uh, uh, Job 22, 1 through 5. Eliphaz is going to ask four questions. And these questions are really revealing because they, they accuse Job of making life all about himself. Look at question number one. He says, Job, your motives are selfish. You're making this all about you. And here's why. Question number one. Do you think your strength or your wisdom are of any use to God? Do you think your strength or your wisdom are of any use to God. Look at verse 2. Can a vigor, vigorous man, a strong man, a healthy man, be of use to God, or a wise man be useful to him? What is, what is he implying? What is the accusation? You think God needs you, Job. You think you're so important to God that somehow this great sovereign God needs a weak human being like you. You think you're so important. Well, here's what's interesting in that question. It's only a half-truth. The half-truth is this. God is so powerful and so wise that He does not need our weak humanity. Moms, God doesn't need you. That should help, you know, that, that takes some of the burden off, right? God doesn't need you. But that's only a half-truth. Here's the full truth. God doesn't need my human strength, my human wisdom, but He does desire it. He takes notice of it. And he uses it to fulfill his own powerful purposes. Mom, God doesn't need you, but he desires to use you. God doesn't need anything you bring to the table. He is sufficient without you. But moms, he wants to use your humanity, your compassion, your wisdom to accomplish his powerful purposes. So Eliphaz is, a, is putting Job down. And saying, you mere human, you mere weak man, God doesn't need you. But here's the reality. The book of Job opens, if you remember, it opens in Job 1.1 with one word in Hebrew and the word is man. This book that's all about God begins with a man. And it's a man who God knows his name, Job. And he knows where he lives in the land of uh, uh, us. And it's a man that Job, uh, that God repeatedly re can, uh, uh, refers to as my servant. I love what Rick told me when we first started this study. He said, oh, that if God would just consider me his servant. Rick, I thought that was really profound. Yeah, you did. And Rick, I remember when <laughs> our members say things like that because they're rare jewels. You see, Eliphaz was getting things. He, he was falsely accusing Job and saying, you think you're so important to God that God should come down here and address you and be concerned about you and he needs you. And he was right. God doesn't need you, but he desires you and he will use your weakness as a mother, your weakness as a human being, and your, your human frailty to accomplish powerful purposes and don't let any deceitful accusation 
discourage you in that. Amen? I hope this is coming. I mean, this is really, really profound but practical stuff. Question number two is this. Do you think God finds any pleasure in your righteousness or profit from your blamelessness? In other words, you think God profits from your blameless integrity. Here's the question, verse uh, verse 3. Is there any pleasure to the Almighty if you are righteous or any profit if you make your way perfect? Have you ever been there where you think, man, God's so perfect, I'm not. What do I have to offer Him? You ever listen to that kind of thinking in your head? Have you ever thought in your mind that God doesn't care if, I, if I'm a woman of integrity, if I'm a mother and a wife of integrity because He's so big and as we're going to see later, I'm so bad at doesn't really matter. There is a half-truth in this question. God is so perfect that He does not need your blameless integrity. It adds nothing to His holiness. It adds nothing to His perfection. But the full truth is this. God does not need my blameless integrity, but He does take pleasure in it, and He does use it to further His own perfect purposes. Because the reality is this. Eliphaz said, look, God doesn't need that. And yet what we know from Job chapter 1, God says three times. He says twice, the narrator a third time, for there is no one like him on earth. God does take pleasure, mom, in your purity. God does take pleasure in your integrity. And God, though he doesn't personally profit from it, he uses it to profit others. He uses it to further His purposes. I think that's powerful. Question number three. Do you think God is punishing you because you fear Him so much? Look at verse four. Is it because of your fear of Him that He reproves you, that He enters into judgment against you? You think you are in the right with God and God is in the wrong? Here's the half-truth. God is so just, here's what Eliphaz thinks, the half-truth is this, God is so just, He would never, never let the godly suffer like you're suffering. Well, that is not, that's almost not even a half-truth. That's almost a full lie. That God is so just, He would never allow the godly to suffer like you're suffering. See, Job is saying, look, I'm suffering though I'm godly. And he's like, you got to be kidding. You think God is punishing you like this because you're so godly? It has to be because you're so ungodly. But here's the full truth. Now listen to me. God is just and does allow those who fear him to suffer. How do we know this? We know it from the book of Job. And you probably know it from your own experience. Not everything you suffer is due to your own selfish sinfulness. So here's the reality. God does is just, does allow those who fear Him to suffer like He suffered for us. He allows you and I to suffer innocently like He suffered for us innocently. And He uses it to fulfill just and merciful purposes. How do we know this? In Job 2. Listen to Job 2, verse 3. And he still holds fast his integrity, although you incited me against him to ruin him without cause, without just cause. Here's the reality. That moms, you may go through hard times in motherhood, and it's not because you're a rotten mom. And all the mothers say, 
That's good news. Moms, you may go through hard times. And it's not always. It may be. But it is not always because you have failed as a mother and as a woman of integrity. It never occurs to Eliphaz that he may be wrong about Job and his suffering or that he may be wrong about God and his purposes for suffering. Why? Because his arrogance is too great. His pride is too great to say, you know what, I could be wrong on this. And his ignorance is too great. He's too foolish to admit, I don't know all of God's purposes in your misery as a mother. So we come to question number four. And question number four is basically this. Do you not realize you're a serious, selfish sinner? How's that for friendship? Look at verse five. Is not your wickedness great and your iniquities without end? Now, that's not a half-truth. That's a full lie. That is a full lie because we're talking about deceitful accusations. The reason you're in hard times right now, Mom, is because you're so sinful. Your sin is so great. In reality, in reality, God had said in Job chapter 1, the narrator said, this is the greatest man in this region. And God said in heaven, there's no one on earth more godly than he. Deceitful, false accusation. The full lie is you're so sinful, God is punishing and cursing you for your great sin. The full truth is, Job, you're so blameless, God is blessing you as you persevere through both prosperity and adversity to fulfill His own gracious, merciful, mysterious purposes. This is the mystery of Job. God's sovereignty, our integrity in the midst of our misery. This is the message of Job, that you ladies, mothers, fathers, all of us, persevere through your misery, persevere through your prosperity, because God's majesty is worthy of our worship in good times and in bad. And so moms, on those discouraging days, on those hard days, when our adversary, the accuser, whispers in your heart and mind that things are going bad simply because you are bad and you have no profit to God, you have no value to God, you have no purpose to God, and your weakness and your humanity is not important to God, you need to understand that is a deceitful accusation and a lie. And so Eliphaz... Job has asked for specific, you know, what sins have I done that are so bad? And, and, and Eliphaz is willing to lie about it. And he says, look, your motives are selfish, but your sins are serious. And so for the rest of the chapter in verses 6 through, or at least through 6 through 11, he says this. He gives at least four specific sins. And, and I, I can't take you through all those, but it's interesting. They're selfish sins and they're social sins against people in need. Basically, here's what Eliphaz is saying. Job, you've had riches, and you use those riches, riches selfishly. You've been a greedy, uncaring, ungiving, selfish man. And in Job 31, we're going to see Job denies it all and says, I've done the opposite. When I've seen orphans, 
they've come into my home. When I've seen widows, I have taken care of them. When I see the hungry, I feed them. And Eliphaz says, no, you don't. And he just outright lies. And then he says, number two, your selfish sins. You may try to hide them. You may refuse to confess them, Job. You may even deny that you have done them, Job, but God sees them. Look at number two, the, the deceitful accusation. You suffer because your sins are seen up in heaven. See, Job, you can hide your sins. You can deny your sins, but God sees your sins up in heaven. And that's verses 12 through 20. Look at verse 12. Is not God in the height of heaven? Look also at the distant stars, how high they are. You say, what does God know? Can he judge through thick darkness? And he goes on and he says, look, you think God doesn't see your sin, but he does. And then he comes to number three. One last deceitful accusation is this. Your salvation from suffering is always and quickly secured by your repentance. He says, look, you're selfish, you deny it, but God sees it, and here's your only way out. And this is the message these guys keep saying. Now, they haven't said it recently, but they said it initially. Your, your salvation, to get out of this suffering, you've got, and, and, and it, it always works this way, and it will quickly work this way. It's secured by your own repentance. And so in verses 21 through 30, one more time, Eliphaz tries to get Job to repent of sin that in reality, Job's never committed. Now, let me make three observations about these verses. Look at verse 21. It begins in verse 21. Yield now and be at peace with him. Thereby good will come to you. In other words, you'll quit suffering. Health and wealth will be yours. Please receive instruction from his mouth and establish his words in your heart. If you return to the Almighty, you will be restored. If you remove unrighteousness far from your tent and place your gold in the dust and the gold of Ophir among the stones of the brooks, then the Almighty will be your gold and choice silver to you. Do you see where he's really getting? He's saying, Job, the reason God took your wealth is because you were selfish with your wealth. You worship the gift instead of the giver, and the giver is punishing you. Now, I think this is a classic example of projecting guilt onto other people. We know God has said Job's not guilty of this. Job will claim and has the evidence to say that I'm not guilty of this. So why would Eliphaz think this? I think the only reason is because he himself is a greedy, selfish person. And so many false accusations that come into your life come because the person who's accusing you is guilty of the very things they're accusing you of. Why do you think I've done this? I haven't done this. Why are you obsessed with this? And the reality is they are often guilty of it of themselves. Well, let me make a couple observations. I think I have them in your notes. This verses 21 through 24 is probably the most beautiful definition, revelation, exhortation to repent that you'll ever find in the Bible. There's nothing wrong with it. It's accurate. The requirements here of repentance are correct. And if you look in these four verses, there's five of them. The first is reconcile with God by agreeing with Him about your sin. That's in verse 21. Secondly, receive correction from God's Word by applying His Word in your heart. That's verse 22. 
Return to God by loving Him more than your sin. That's the heart of repentance. Verse 23. Remove sin from your life by forsaking it completely. Again, verse 23. And then repay what has been wrongfully taken by restoring right values. Verse 24. You can't get a better picture of repentance. What's wrong with this? He had nothing to repent of. He had nothing to repent of. And then look at the rewards of repentance. They're convincing. They're compelling. Look at verses 25 through 30. In verses 25 through 30, let me read them to you from the message. Listen. He's like, man, Job, if you'll just do this, this is what God will reward you with. Listen to, listen to the message. God Almighty will be your treasure, more wealth than you can imagine. You'll take delight in God, the Mighty One, and look to Him joyfully and boldly. You'll pray to Him, and He'll listen. He'll help you do what you've promised. You'll decide what you want, and it'll happen. Your life will be bathed in light. To those who feel low, you'll say, chin up and be brave, and God will save them. Yes, even the guilty will escape. Escape through God's grace in your life. Wow, those rewards are just, they're compelling, they're convincing. But here's the irony of this call to repentance. Number one, Job didn't need it. And here's number two. If Job did repent of sins he hadn't committed, you say, people do that? Oh, yes, they do. To make peace in families, they do. To make peace in churches, they do. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we're tempted to do that all the time under false... You know, if you'll just go away, I'll confess. But here's the reality with false accusers. Even confession doesn't usually make them go away. But here's the reality. If Job had confessed to that which he hadn't done to get his friends off his back, he would have lost his integrity, because that's not integrity to confess to that which you haven't done. He would have lost his integrity. The adversary would have won, because why would have Job, why would Job be repenting to get less suffering? And that's exactly what the Satan, that's what Satan had accused him of. So in, in giving in to the pressure, he would have lost integrity. The adversary would have won. He would have dishonored God. And here's the irony of this. The rewards that Eliphaz is promising Job are already his, even in his suffering. Look through those pat look through those rewards in verses 25 through 30. Job had all those even in his suffering. You don't have to work for God's blessings, ladies. You, you don't have to try harder. You don't have to invent sins for you to confess in order to draw closer to God. It is a gift of His grace. And the blessings of repentance, if you have repented of your sins, are yours even in times of misery. That's a pretty profound truth right there. Eliphaz was saying, You've got to try harder, get better, confess more to get these blessings. And the reality was, sitting on the ash heap of despair, Job had every one of these blessings. They were already his. And they're yours, even when you're miserable. So there's a lot of irony there. Well, when you're facing deceitful accusations, what do you do? What do you do when Satan whispers in your ear, moms? 
What do you do on those bad days, those hard days, those days when you have failed and, and or at least seem weak and seem ineffective as a mom? What do you do when you're facing deceitful accusations? Here's what Job did. Number two, are you expressing truthful frustrations like Job? Are you expressing truthful frustrations? In chapters 23 through 24, Job responds one more time to the false accusations of his friends. And I've kind of given you an outline of these verses. In verse, in number one, he has frustrating perseverance during unjust suffering. Look at verses one through nine. If I could sum it up, I have it in your notes, I would sum up this whole section, these two chapters, with this statement. God, where are you in my misery? God, where are you? So I can make my case before you and you can defend my integrity. God, where are you in this mess? Moms, it's okay to be honest with God and say, where are you in the midst of my motherhood? Where are you in the midst of my parenting? Where are you in the midst of my suffering? Look at Job 23, verse 2. Even today my complaint is rebellion. His hand is heavy despite my groaning. In other words, he's saying... God, I'm not going to stop telling you I'm frustrated with you and what's going on right now. I'm just not backing off this. They're trying to shut me up, but I want you to hear me because I'm frustrated and I'm going to be honest in my frustration. Number two is honesty is seen in trusting confidence. Trusting confidence. I think verses 6 and 7 and 10 are are the most important of all that we're looking at today. Because here's what he says. He says, God is not so big that he won't pay attention to me. God is not so big that he won't pay attention to me. Look at verse 6. Look at verse 6. Would he contend with me by the greatness of his power? No. Surely he would pay attention to me. Isn't that beautiful? That's a real confidence that even in the midst of this mess, when God seems so far away, he's not so big that he won't pay attention to me. And then look at verse 7. God's not so unjust that he won't acquit me. Look at verse 7. There the upright would reason with him, and I would be delivered forever from my judge. He's saying, look, God will declare me innocent. God is not so unjust. Even though what I'm experiencing right now seems unfair and unjust, God's not so unjust that he won't affirm that I am blameless. And then look at verse 10. This is the classic verse in this section. But he knows the way that I take, and when he has tried me, I shall come forth as gold. Here's what he's saying. God's not so far away that he's not aware of me. And he will acknowledge I am blameless in the end. Moms, you want some motivation to live with integrity even in times of misery? Then look at those three truths and trusting God, be confident in them. Amen? Now listen, if if you're not in the habit of applying God's word to your suffering, this lesson will seem impractical to you. Because really the battle is up here in the head and the heart. And the way you win that battle with false accusations and false guilt and satanic discouragement is you renew your mind and your heart with these kind of truths from God's Word. 
You soak yourself in them. You repeat them to you, to yourself. You preach them to yourself. And then in, in, in the third thing he does in this chapter, he, he reveals evidence of just how he has maintained his integrity. Look at verses 11 and 12. He says, here's why I know God will declare me blameless. My foot has held fast to his path. I have kept his way and not turned aside. I have not departed from the commands of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. There's how you combat discouragement as a mom. You feed on the word of God. And as you feed on God's word, your fear and reverence increases. In verses 13 through 17, he flat out says, God, you're so great, you scare me. God, you're so sovereign, you freak me out at times. I fear you. I trust you. I will not forsake you. But then he goes into chapter 24, and he says, you know what? The more I suffer as an innocent man, the more annoyed I get with ungodly people that go unpunished. There's some truth for you. And so all of 24 is about the ungodly. And why do the wicked go unpunished for so long? Job longs for God's wrath to be poured out on the wicked. So, you would think Job had been through enough, but you still have Bildad. So number three... Here's the question, ladies. Are you feeling hateful assumptions like Job? Are you feeling hateful assumptions? Just about the time you get Eliphaz off your back, Bildad comes in. Bildad doesn't have much to say. He only has six verses in chapter 25. But boy, does he make some hateful assumptions. Hurtful assumptions. And here's what he says. If I could summarize it, it would be like this. Job... God's so big and you're so bad, why bother claiming to be blameless before Him? God's so big, you're so bad. Okay, so what are the assumptions? What are the hateful assumptions? One, God's so big, He doesn't care about you. Well, that's where Eliphaz was coming. We've already dealt with that. God's big, but He still cares. The second assumption is you're so bad, God wouldn't want anything to do with you, and that was a hateful, hurtful assumption. Look at verse 4. It's the heart of his uh, hatefulness. How can a mere mortal presume to stand up to God? How can an ordinary person pretend to be guiltless? And that is really the heart of the question this morning, and that's the heart of the book of Job. It's really not about suffering. It's how can a man be right before God? And here's the answer. The reason Job could claim to be blameless, even though God was big, and let's face it, Job was bad. We're all bad was because blamelessness is not something you earn and deserve. It's a gift that God gives by His grace as you place your faith in the promises of Jesus. You see, they didn't get it. They didn't get it. You, 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 can't, you can't repent enough to deserve God's gift of grace. You can't, you know, you, 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 it's a gift. Job is blameless not because he tried harder as a or or you won't be blameless because you try harder as a mom it's be, and it's not because we have to lower god's standards for us to be acceptable god can still be big and we can still be bad and we can still be blameless because it's a gift of god's grace he changes our heart 
through the gospel. So, when you're feeling the hurt of hateful assumptions, what do you do? Number four, are you maintaining faithful resolutions like Job? Are you maintaining faithful resolutions like Job? Job's answer to such hateful assumptions is chapters 26 and 27. And here's how I'd summarize those. First, he says, Bildad, actually he says to all of them, you guys are no help. You guys are worthless comforters. You're no help. There again, confront those who make false accusations. But God is, one thing you guys are right about is God is big. And because he's big, he's big enough to help me even if no one can figure him out. In Job 26, he has this beautiful passage where he talks about God's greatness. And look at verse 14, chapter 26. Look at verse 14. He talks about how big God is, how sovereign. And then he says this, Behold, these are the fringes of his way, and how faint a word we hear of him, but his mighty thunder who can understand. He's saying, look, he didn't have the whole Bible. We do. And I'll use it this way. He says, you could read this whole Bible and understand it all, and it would just be a whisper of how great God is. You could understand, and no one can understand this whole Bible, but if you understood this whole Bible, you would just touch the fringe of the garment of how great God is. Yesterday we had a hailstorm, and we can't even understand how to protect our own cars from it. And yet God is greater than And so he says, you're no help, but God's big enough to help, even if I don't understand him. You don't have to understand all that God's doing for him to help you. You just need to trust him and resolve to do it. You don't have to figure out how sovereignty and suffering all go together, how your responsibility and God's sovereignty. You don't have to figure that all out. You just need to know he's so big you'll never figure it out. But because he's that big, he can help you. Don't shrink God so you can understand Him in your suffering. You don't want a God that's small when you suffer. You want a God who's bigger than your suffering, bigger than what you can figure out. Amen? So, here's what he says in chapter 27. We'll look more at it next week. He says, so, I'm going to maintain my integrity in the midst of my misery no matter what. In chapter 27, he starts putting both feet down there on the ash heap and he says, come what may, it may never get better. I may die tomorrow. You can go on accusing me. You can get on after me, but I am going to maintain my integrity through my misery no matter what. I resolve. Here I stand. I can do no other. And moms, that's what you need to do in the hard times, in the bad times. So how do you measure your motives as a mom? Well, basically, take these four statements and look at them and ask yourselves. Look at I have four questions there for you. And moms, I would challenge you this afternoon, if, if you have time, if you don't this afternoon, make it a priority Monday, make it a priority this week to take these four questions before the Lord and ask God to measure your motives for being a mom of integrity. Do I have selfish motives? Listen, sometimes we suffer because we are sinful. And if you want to know how to repent, then you look at these passages in Job. They're there laid out. And if you need motivation to forsake that besetting sin that is destroying your fellowship with God, it's hurting your marriage, it's hurting your kids, it's hurting our church, 
then look at the rewards for repentance and realize that your sin's not worth the blessings that God has on the other side of repentance. But maybe you're here and you're saying, Chris, I'm keeping short accounts with God. I'm, 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 I'm in a miserable situation and I don't think it's because I'm continuing in sin. So look at the other questions. Am I listening to deceitful accusations? And remember that Jesus is your Redeemer. Are you feeling trapped by brutal accusations and false thinking of hateful people who say you're unworthy of God's goodness and you'll never measure up to God's greatness? Remember that Jesus is your defender. If you're honestly, are you honestly expressing frustrations with God and others, but doing it with a confidence that God is in control, He's big enough to handle this, and that God has compassion for me even in my misery, and that my commitment to being a mom is worth keeping through grace and faith in Him. I'd ask you today, why are you a mom? What's your motive for motherhood? And are you letting the devil's accusations sidetrack you from the grace that God has for you? You know, the greatest gift you can give your parent, your kids, your husband, as a mom, is those four statements. Jesus is my Savior. Jesus is my Redeemer. Jesus is my Defender. And Jesus is my Lord. And not just say it in your words, but let misery measure your motives and show and say it in the hard times, not just the good times. Amen? Be encouraged, Mom. God's big, but He's big enough to help you. And He's not so big that He doesn't care. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your multiplied mercies in Christ Jesus. Um, Lord, I'm glad that You know what's going on in my heart in the hard times because I don't always understand it. I'm glad that you're bigger than my suffering. I don't want to shrink you down so that I can understand you. I want you to be as big as you are in Scripture and in reality. And I want to be like Job, where I say you're big enough to help me even when I can't figure out what in the world are you doing. Why do you seem far away? Why do you seem like you don't care? Lord, I pray that the mothers here would take time to examine their motives and let you search their hearts and let Jesus be the reason for being moms of integrity, even in adversity. It's your grace, it's your glory that we live for. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. Amen.